Hi, Sophia. Welcome back, everybody, to Bright Young Things. Hi, Austin. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded, just with stuff going on, but... Yes. Thank what's been you. new with you in the world of Sophia? Um, COVID, uh, job changes, and just general early 20s ennui, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> if I had to diagnose. What about you, it's, Austin? It's like a highlight reel of all the, the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> Since our last recording, I officially finished my semester. Woo! So I'm one year down to my master's. Amazing. I am in between that and my summer course now, so I kind of have a week and a bit off just to relax and decompress. Love that. And that has been looking for like volunteer opportunities and different do- job opportunities in Toronto. But I'm hoping to get back into reading more now that I'm done school. Now that you have time. <laughs> Have you been reading anything new lately? Have I been reading anything new? That's a great question. And I really should prepare the answer before I come on this because we go over this every time. And I don't. <laughs> I'm like, what do I read? Um, I started um, The Artist's Way, which is like this like workbook that you're supposed to go through to kind of like reawaken your creative side. And it's like a 12-week course. Um, and I've heard a lot of people reference it, so I decided to give it a go, and it's been really cool. That's interesting. So, yeah, it was, it's pretty good, and I feel like um, all growing up, like, I was really into, like, art and, like, writing, and I would just kind of go home and write, like, 30 pages a day, <laughs> and then I got to university, and I didn't have time. It's to <laughs> <laughs> too busy writing papers, so it's nice That's to kind of, <laughs> yeah, get back into it. What about you, Austin? What are you reading? My reading has continued to be slow over the last couple of months because I've been like, like you have been focusing on school. Well, like you, yeah. you, how you, you were saying, um, yeah. I did start reading Coraline, the mm-hmm. source version of that. I love it. I'm liking it so far. I'm about halfway through. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it's a lot um, creepier and more eerie than the movie, which seems to hold up so far, which is really cool. Yeah. It's really good. Did you say you were reading the graphic novel or like the? Just the the regular novel, like the nice. original. So yeah, I'll have I'll give my thoughts on that next time we record. I should be finished it by then. Exciting. Other than that, it's just been a process of starting a book and then having to do assignments and then putting that book on hold and then not picking it up again. Sounds familiar. Yep. <laughs> yep. But one book I have finished is our topic for this week, which is "As You Like It" by Shakespeare. Heck yes. What did you think, Austin? I quite enjoyed it. I have some thoughts on the second half of it, but in general, I did like it a lot. How did, what, did you, how, what did you think of it? I liked it a lot. So we've kind of been taking turns picking like which play we're going to read. And I chose this one because I went to see it in grade 11. Um, and we went to see it at the Stratford Festival, of course, because we're really lucky. We live really close to it. And it's kind of like an epicenter in Canada. And mm-hmm. kind of globally, it's known um for putting on really great plays so we went to see it and I loved it I hadn't read it before we went actually it was like a trip meant for grade 12s and like my English teacher let me come because I really like Shakespeare um but it was really good and I just remember laughing a lot and like in my (laughs) head I was kind of like worried because this is one of the first plays that like I saw performed oops sorry I saw performed before I read it. 
Yeah. Um, and I kind of wondered in my head, like, ooh, like, will I get the same enjoyment out of it? Because I was really lucky and I had really great English teachers who, like, really brought things to life. And you and I have talked about this before, like, should plays be, you know, viewed as they're performed or read? Yeah. And I think this was a case for me where I really liked the performance better than reading it because there's just so many, like, jokes and really great things that, like, unless you have the intonation, it doesn't really hit the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my thoughts going into it. Mm-hmm. So for those for people who aren't familiar, the play is a pastoral comedy. So it follows two different families where a series of misunderstandings causes like the youngest of each family to go run off and live in the woods. And there's romance and there's drama and there's comedy. <laughs> Can we say as the older siblings, like that's totally the younger sibling thing to do? Like go run off and live in the woods? I feel like it's the opposite. You me think? My sister. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. She'd probably say something different. (laughs) (laughs) Now, next week, we have um, a guest on the pod, Hannah. She's going to be correcting any (laughs) incidents. She's going to be shooting down all the statements I make about a relationship. (laughs) What was that thing you said in the first episode where you were like, well, no one I know reads it. (laughs) And your sister was like, And she called me out on it. (laughs) And then I tried reading when I was visiting her. And she takes the book and goes, it's family time. (laughs) She's probably going to listen to this and call me out again. (laughs) That's what sisters are for. Can confirm. confirm. (laughs) Okay, so back to the play. Is this your first time reading it since you saw it live? Yes. And confession, I read the first half of it, and then I was like, I need to watch the play because I know (laughs) I'm going to enjoy it more. Um, And I did. It was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Highly recommend it. Like, honestly, probably one of the funnier ones. Yeah. Uh, And it was great. So who are you, do you think your MVPs are for this play? Um, definitely Rosalind. Mm-hmm. She's goals and she's so funny. And like, there are so many like witty comebacks and just like sly little jokes. And, you know, I can't really name them all off the top of my head, but I just enjoyed it. Like, would you say this is like the 22 Jump Street of its time? I don't know. <laughs> I would say I that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not as good as 21 Jump Street, but it's like the sequel, like mm-hmm. it's got a lot of really funny jokes and like it's just really enjoyable. I would say like if you're not a fan of Shakespeare and like someone was bringing you to a play, you would hope that it's like this one. Yeah. Right? Yes, I would say so. Yeah. So Rosalind is the main protagonist of the play. She is mm-hmm. the daughter of an exiled duke who herself goes and runs away to live in the forest disguised as a man. Mm-hmm. To which she falls in love with the brother of another duke who is also exiled into the forest. So a lot of the play is the dynamic like between different gender roles and ideas of like what makes a man and a man and a woman a woman. Which mm-hmm. I found really interesting. It was kind of like Twelfth Night in that way. Yeah, definitely. I like in my mind I wonder which one was released first. Mm-hmm. Because I almost wonder if it's a case of like he saw one doing really well and he was like well... The people like it, and he <laughs> got to cash in on that. <laughs> yeah, like you know, struggling playwright, playwright, playwright life, where you're like, oh, like the audience likes it, check, you know. <laughs> um, but definitely similar vibe and really funny. I would almost say like funnier than Twelfth Night. I would say so. 
Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to say, my MVP for this one was Melancholy Jacques, <laughs> who's just one of the exiled dukes, like lords, who's just miserable the entire play. He just complains and talks about how terrible stuff is. Mood. And that's the entirety of his character. <laughs> As the name would suggest, not the most <laughs> cheerful in the bunch. I did get confused because the, the one son, Orlando, is the other main character. Mm-hmm. So he's he goes into exile because his older brother, Oliver, right. has taken all of the inheritance from their father and hasn't given any to Orlando. Right. So a series of misunderstandings leads to him running away as well. But they also have a brother named Jacques. So at first I thought it was the same character. Yeah. I completely but, forgot about the third brother, to be honest mm, with you. I can't um, think of any other Shakespeare plays with those two characters with the same name. Actually, me neither. I wonder that's if that's interesting. A, yeah. It's a little fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. Um, no, me neither, actually. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, so we'll talk, we can talk about the plot of the play. So it opens with an argument between Oliver and Orlando, who are the two brothers of the deceased Duke. Right. So Oliver is upset because he hasn't received any inheritance. So he kind of is like a rough and tumble, like street brawler kind of lifestyle. Yep. So he goes to wrestle at the court of another duke of the one he's this duke has exiled his older brother and he is the uncle of the main character rosalind and the father of celia who is rosalind's cousin and kind of like best friend right i've saw online there's a lot of um like homoerotic connotations between rosalind and celia and celia did you have that sense I did too. I think like I highlighted there was one part in the beginning where when Rosalind is exiled, um, I'm just looking at my notes quickly, but they're very like ride or die, which I love. And it kind of almost gave me the vibes of um, what's that? What's that movie with like um, Susan Sarandon and Gina something where they like they ride off in the car together oh yes um it's their two names yeah what is that i want to say laverne and shirley but that's definitely not it <laughs> that's not it <laughs> Sarandon movies. okay thelma and louise thelma and louise <laughs> i cannot believe i didn't re- i am ashamed as a film major and a feminist that i did not have that Kind of feels as though I should leave that entire bit. No, remove it. No one can know. Okay, if anybody's listening, we're probably cutting out at least what five to ten minutes of us trying to figure the name of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rosalind and Celia gave me very strong Thelma and Louise vibes. Um, yes, they're very ride or die. And I wrote down this like thing in the beginning. So Rosalind is getting banished, and she's like, "Well." Like, this is a me problem. And Celia's like, no, it's an us problem. Like, we're in this together. Mm. And then they kind of talk to each other and they're like, to liberty, not to banishment. And I was like, that is BFF goals. Like, she did not leave her hanging. And she was immediately like, you know what? Like, let's turn this shitty luck into an adventure. (laughs) And it was just such a great spin. And then they left. (laughs) You know what? That is one of the major themes of the play is that raw, raw, live in the forest. Like, society, civilization sucks. Which I find very interesting. I do too. And I think that goes like hand in hand with like the toying of gender roles. Like there's a lot of times when Rosalind is like 
posing as the, um, I think it's a shepherd she's posing as, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a male shepherd. A male shepherd. So she's poisoning. (laughs) She's not poisoning anyone. That's a different (laughs) play. Um, (laughs) But she's posing as him. And there's a lot of, like, times where um, Orlando is trying to woo her. And she's just kind of, like, toying with the fact of, like, oh, like, you say this, but this is what men mean. And I know I'm a man. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, hilarious because she's not. And I like that she's posing as one. And Mm -hmm. she just makes a lot of comments about, like, expectations and what actually happens. And there's a lot of room there. Um, That's another part of the homoerotic commentary I've seen was that Rosalind is disguised as a man, but then gives love lessons to Orlando, who is in love with Rosalind. mm -hmm. But then she is still in the persona of a man, but then she says, woo me as if I was Rosalind. Mm-hmm. So in Orlando's mind, he's flirting with this young man as if it's Rosalind, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think like a lot of, you know, stuff within Shakespeare, like there's a lot of room for interpretation mm-hmm. there. And like, I think too, it's, you know, compelling when you remember that like most of these parts were played by men. Like, all uh-huh. men. Yeah, so it was a man playing a girl disguised as a man pretending to be a girl to be wooed. Like, what does that costume look like? <laughs> like, what is, what's the style? Um, yeah, it's actually really fascinating. I wish that we had more, like, not evidence, but just, like, you know, knowledge of the actors who are putting on these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really cool. I wonder if somewhere like The Globe would have, you know, some records of what that looked like, because mm-hmm. that would be That would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. I do got to say, in terms of the plot, this goes for Twelfth Night as well. Like, how disguising, or how convincing is this disguise? I know. Because it fools Orlando, who's allegedly in love with her, and it fools her own father. Yeah. Is it like Clark Kent in Superman, where you just take off the glasses and you're like, I've never seen this man before in my <laughs> life. <laughs> like, like, I get it. It is jarring when your friend comes in and they're normally wearing glasses, but they're wearing contacts. But I still know it's the friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the Duke's lines is he sees Rosalind in disguise and he goes, oh, I would have sworn that was my daughter's brother if she had one. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh. I wanted to go back to like the pastoral element of it. I find this is an interesting one to piggyback off of Anthony and Cleopatra and Julius Caesar, which are both very political in their plots and nature. And this one's kind of the opposite. It's like the denial of the intricacies of politics and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's a big commentary on how much of a drag court life is and how much more freedom it is living in the woods. Mm-hmm. Which I find very interesting. It is. Like, I think it's really interesting, like, when you think about how many different viewpoints, like, Shakespeare represented. I feel like usually, not to say always, but usually when you're looking at, like, an artist's works, like, there's a general, you know, opinion that's General like opinion. Pretty, it's pretty strong throughout <laughs> <laughs> like that's pretty strong throughout and like in his I just feel like above all else it's always a dedication to humor or humanity you know what mm-hmm. I mean like even in the tragedies there's always an element of like wit mm-hmm. um even if it's devastating it's really delivered in a devastatingly witty way and I think for him, it's all about being clever. Like, what are you noticing? And I think, like, a lot of people say that, like, 
a good writer or a good artist or a good reader or a good creator of any kind is someone who notices things and kind of like takes it apart and examines like what makes it funny and what it says about humanity. Yeah. And I think like, even though this is very different than political comments that he makes in other ones, like it still kind of holds on to that like overarching theme that is, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's really cool. Okay, so we'll continue on with the plot of the play. So okay. everybody's out living in the woods, having a good time. And then Rosalind in disguise and Orlando have repeated meanings in which Rosalind's like, okay, let me teach you how to like woo Rosalind. Who is secretly, who is of course her, but then. Have you ever done this? I have to ask a question. Sorry to interrupt. But have you ever done this where like you're friends with someone and like you're walking them through how to talk to their crush or something? And it's always like so much fun. You know what I mean? Like it's just (laughs) so fun to be with your friends and like talk about like, oh my gosh, like he said this. What does this mean? Or like, (laughs) oh, like she came over yesterday. Like, you know what I mean? Gasp. Gasp. And it's like, you know, you're like in elementary school or whatever and you have like code words for like who they are and it just gets so fun and like all these like, you know what I mean? You just get so excited about it. Yeah, that was a really big like vibe of the play which is interesting (laughs) yeah like it just feels like really fun and like really like easy to get sucked into Mm -hmm. so yeah so other than that that's like the main plot line there's also um celia and rosalind's fool who follows them into the woods and kind of interacts with all the the exiles which i found interesting i didn't i found this is like one of the most interesting depictions of a fool in a shakespeare play like he gets to have a romance and he gets to outwit like a more like overtly outwit a lot of people around him which I found very interesting what do you think of that character I thought the same I kind of like noticed him more this time than I did when I saw the play the first time and I thought it was really interesting because again you're right like normally they don't get a lot of autonomy and they're just Mm. kind of like in there to like say something funny or like help a plot point along and then they're gone but this time I really enjoyed kind of seeing more attention being given Mm -hmm. to the fool and i don't know if it's because it was so focused on comedy that he was like oh well it makes sense he gets like more of a say this time i don't know if it was just me but i thought it'd be kind of mean the entire play (laughs) like he's he's very snarky to all the people around him like oh oh, oh, i i grew up in the court i'm smarter than you yeah like i thought that was interesting because normally they're very like one-dimensional and they're just kind of like they say something funny they leave they're entertaining they're very like surface level Mm mm-hmm but to have him be, like, mean was not, like, ideal. But, like, it still was, like, oh, he's, like, an actual person who deserves, you know, mm-hmm. to have more character time. I found there's one scene in particular where he's with his bride-to-be and a rival gentleman caller comes and he just like, tears him to shreds. He's like a young man, William, oh, Lord. his name is. And they just have, like, this duel of wits which william loses badly he just kind of goes off that's the only scene in the play with williams which is kind of there's a, there's <laughs> Bye, a lot william. of scenes in this play which are just very short it just depicts a song or something or people around a campfire and talking yeah there's a lot of music in this play 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. I was watching like the live performance and like the actors like were singing and it was so nice. Like mm-hmm. it's really fun because you don't know what it sounded like originally. So you kind of just get to have a little part of the play that's like your own special version. Yeah. I was wondering if Shakespeare based the songs off of actual songs at the time or if he just I know from scratch. I would assume it would be from scratch and like based off of like a minstrel. Like maybe he borrowed the tune and then just changed I could the word. See it like that, so we could have audience members sing along, possibly. Yeah, because like, a lot of the songs are really body and mm-hmm. like entendre e, which of course isn't new for Shakespeare. No, not for our old boy Will. There's a lot of cuckold horns in this play, <laughs> like jokes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hilarious, and I like that. Like going back to similarities with other stuff we read by him like the disguise element like I feel like that's really fun and there's a lot of room there to like work with things and I think that would only add to a play like kind of having mm-hmm. that extra layer mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask would you see this play as like a feminist play um like I definitely could see how people could argue that mm-hmm Rosalind is a big driver behind a lot of the play's events. Like, she is the main mover and shaker behind a lot of the resolution, a lot of the plot movements, but... Definitely. I think, like, you know, I can see the arguments for it. It doesn't immediately jump out to me. Yeah. Um, But, like, you can definitely see, like, okay, like, two women shunned from society, and they go out and do their own thing, and then they have a happy ending. Yeah. Like, Definitely. I think my main point of contention with that, or like with the the feminist approach, is that yeah. Rosalind says a lot of like self-deprecating things against women when she's disguised as a man. Yeah, it's kind of like she's sometimes she kind of sounds like those girls who are like, "I'm not like other girls," and you're like, "Okay, mm-hmm. take it down a notch." You know what I mean? This could also be a commentary on class too. But aside from Rosalind and Celia, a lot of the other women of the play are um, presented as like either mean-spirited which is Phoebe, another shepherdess in the forest, right. who like repeatedly rejects the advances of somebody who is pining for her. Sylvia? Yes. Yeah. And um, Audrey, two. who is the... Uh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. And also Audrey, who is the, the fool's bride-to-be. Right. Was kind of presented as simple and like uneducated, but they are also not ones who were raised in the court, so... Right. That could be a commentary in the class of those two characters as opposed to being raised in the court. I definitely feel like that was, like, more of the commentary I picked up from this one. Like, I feel like maybe in Twelfth Night I picked up more, like, you know, gender things. And in this one, maybe a little more class. Yeah. Um, And I could be wrong. I'd have to, like, read them closer together. But, like, I see what you're saying for sure. Like, it definitely seemed like a here's what's wrong with like society and even though they're rich and proper look at like the things they do you know what mm-hmm. i mean um but yeah okay we can circle back around to sylvius and phoebe oh boy <laughs> so they are a shepherd and shepherdess living in the right. woods um sylvius has a mega crush on phoebe <laughs> To which <laughs> mega crush <laughs> that's the exact uh, word <laughs> are you reaping team <laughs> seven that was excellent that is the straight from the bard's hand himself. <laughs> I had a mega crush on Harry Styles as a great. I thought you were going to say Michael Sarah. Uh, you know Michael Sarah was more like. <laughs> he has a child now. He's really, taken. I did not know that. For real. <laughs> For real. <laughs> 
Okay, so, so yeah, Silvius has a mega crush on Phoebe, to which Phoebe just puts him through the ringer. Mm-hmm. So then she gets put in her place by Rosalind in disguise as a man, which makes oh. her pine after Rosalind. <laughs> which, like, <laughs> you know, people always say they like, like, you know, treat him mean to keep him keen or whatever. <laughs> Phoebe is really holding true to that hard. Like... Rosalind repeatedly repeatedly tries to like shut her down and like move on and she is just not having it and yeah that's another kind of homoerotic part of the play is that she's in love with everybody seems to be in love with Rosalind dressed as a man yeah but Rosalind at the end of the play is like I'll marry you or else I'll marry no woman mm-hmm. which I'm surprised they would have kept as a plot or not really a surprise but it's interesting they that was a plot element in it yeah the idea of a man with it, woman in disguise marrying another woman. Yeah. The part, where, like, at the end where she's like, okay, like, well, I'll marry you. But if, if for some reason we can't, you have to promise to marry Sylvia. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she just bounces. And I'm like, that's kind of shady. Like, you know, <laughs> don't Sylvia's. do it like that. Yeah. Like, and also, like, kind of a little bit poor Phoebe. Because, like, if she doesn't even like him, uh-huh. like, Go to another town and find another shepherd. Oh, yeah, find another forest. Yeah, there's plenty (laughs) of shepherds in the forest, you know? So I wanted to talk about some of the end plot points of the play. (laughs) I found a lot of stuff was wrapped up very conveniently and off screen, which Mm -hmm. I found kind of weird, but also kind of hilarious. Yeah. So the tying up of the one plot line is that Oliver is in exile in the woods. So Duke Frederick sends the older brother, sorry, Orlando is in exile in the woods. So the Duke Frederick sends Oliver after him because he thinks he ran off with Rosalind and Celia. Right. So how that gets resolved is that Oliver is sleeping in the forest and he gets strangled by a snake. And then a lioness is about to attack him. So Oliver comes across him and gets rid of the snake and fights the lioness off. And then they make up, and they're all good. And this all happens off screen. Like, all of it shows up, and he's like, sup, I've been gone for three acts, but now my brother and I are all good. He saved me. Can you just imagine being the person who was charged with playing the snake? Like, how would you play that? Like, Jake Screw was like, yeah, you're going to have to go off screen for this one. Like, I trust your acting abilities, but not this much. Like, mm-mm. And the other big convenience is that Rosalind's father is the Duke exiled in the woods. So the younger brother, the Duke Frederick, mounts an army to come get rid of his brother once and for all. Then you hear that the younger Duke comes across a religious man who talks him down and then gives him a total change of heart. So then he decides he's going to live in the woods and just give everything back to the older brother. And just, yeah, I'm a woods person now. And that also (laughs) all happens off screen. I kind of found all the wild stuff happening off screen just to be hilarious. (laughs) Yes, like, it's, like, so funny. It's, like, use your imagination. And, like, the two morals of the story seem to be, like, one, the woods will cure all. Go into (laughs) nature and, you know, turn your back on society. And two, there are plenty of shepherds in the forest. (laughs) Don't get hung up on one. (laughs) Plenty of fish in the sea, plenty of shepherds in the forest. Am I right? (laughs) It's my new motto. (laughs) Yeah, everything gets resolved with a nice little bow. All the people get to be with their respective love interest, except for Phoebe, who's kind of stuck with Sylvius. Oh, God. <laughs> Those two. <laughs> oh. 
So I wanted to talk more about performances of the play. I've only seen like clips off of YouTube and stuff, but right. I'm not sure if you've heard. They did a 90s version of the movie. I didn't know that. Have you heard of this? It is interesting. Not in a good way. Uh-oh. It is by Kenneth Branagh, who, of course, is like today's big Shakespeare actor and director. He did like Henry V and all these, and he played Lockhart and Harry Potter. Mm, okay. So it is an adaptation of As You Like It, but it's set in, I think, 1800s Japan. Oh, wow. Okay. But all the main characters are British. Oh. What? None of them are Japanese, so people are what? kind of asking, like, why would you set it in Japan? Yeah. Why would you say it in this time period? I haven't seen, I've only seen like clips in the trailer of the movie, but it seems like a very, very odd decision to put it in that setting. Yeah, really weird decision. What time period is it in? I believe it's the 1800s or oh, thereabouts. Still, eh? mm-hmm. That is so weird. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I could see this play as one that could have a more modern adaptation. Yeah, definitely. But if you're going to set it in Japan, I don't get why. You you wouldn't make the characters to follow suit. Yeah, I don't either. It would be super easy to cast mm-hmm. Japanese actors and actresses for that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah. I would have thought this wasn't a super, super popular one to perform, but I there was a lot of lot of performances of like from like college theater troops and like high school theater troops. So that's oh, yeah. very interesting. I guess this is a good one for younger actors to play the roles in. I definitely think so. I was watching, like, um, there's one available on YouTube if anyone wants to see it, but, like, I think it was by, I want to say Rice U- University. I could be completely wrong, but it was so great, and you could tell it was, like, a bunch of college students, and they just put so much, like, life into it, and mm-hmm. it was hilarious, and, you know, I think the first time I saw it, it was funnier, and obviously, like, actors in Stratford, like, have been doing Shakespearean plays forever, and they mm-hmm. have, like, special training camps and you know they're wonderful um but i think any performance you like i I feel like it would be hard to see a bad performance of it you know what i Mm -hmm. mean yeah like it's just so well written and it it would really make you laugh when you saw it was it mostly younger actors and actresses no when i saw it in stratford it was like a variety of ages i think they were like late 20s 30s some of them and then some of them were like 40s 50s And it was so funny. Like, we were all in peals of laughter. And these are, like, you know, 17-year-olds who, like, not all of us were into Shakespeare. Like, some of the class definitely, like, were not. And even they had a great time. Like, it was just really funny. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how they set up the stage and stuff. It was a lot of, like, just forest scenery. Yeah, like, I'm trying to recall back. Um, But I remember they were, like, in, like... I think it was Regency ball gown, hmm. ball gowns, I remember. And I remember they had, like, a house set up. They had, like, forestry set up. And, like, they kind of emulate or they try to, like, the globe in that it's, like, a circular theater. So That's it's, cool. like, yeah, it's really hmm. nice. It's, like, it's indoors, this one. But they do have outdoor ones now, yeah. um, post-COVID reality. Um, but it's indoor. It's, like, circular. And you get a really good view of, like, everything. And it was really well done, mm-hmm. like, honestly. So. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. That's definitely high on the list of Shakespeare plays I'd like to see performed live. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you would you would like it, I think. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Did you have any uh, concluding thoughts on the play? Just that I recommend it. Like, I think this would be one, if you weren't a big Shakespeare fan, if you watched it, mm-hmm. I think you would change your mind because yeah. it's really funny. Yeah, I definitely recommend this one. I think I like this one more than Twelfth Night, maybe. 
Me too. And mm. I think like maybe I would classify this under the Shakespeare gateway drug category. <laughs> <laughs> like it's easy and it's fun. It's very lighthearted and, and yeah, right? very happy, especially coming off of, like I was saying before, coming off of Caesar and Antigua which are a lot oh, yeah. darker Heavy. and a lot more violent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I nice agree. contrast. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. It just proves he has such good range. Mm-hmm. So speaking of seeing Shakespeare live in the Stratford Festival, we have the honor of seeing Hamlet in a couple weeks. So exciting. Yeah, if you're in Ontario, or even if you're not and you're coming by, like definitely swing by if you can get a chance. They mm-hmm. are some of the most hardworking arts professionals, and especially during COVID, like, you know, Austin and I try to support as many arts sector things as mm-hmm. possible. Um, and you won't see a bad show at the Stratford Festival. Yeah. It's just not possible. So they we have a lucky lot. enough to uh, get Richard the Third tickets, but I'll settle <laughs> <know>. for Hamlet <laughs> next year. Next year, <laughs> they have lots of good stuff on the roster this summer and even into October. So mm. if you're a fan of, you know, Little Women, they have a play on that. Chicago, they have a bunch of Shakespearean stuff. As Austin mentioned, Richard the Third, Hamlet. Um, so do yourself a favor and check out their website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think we're going to try and get a review up of Hamlet after we see it. So look at yeah. that in the next couple of weeks exciting time <laughs> yeah i think on that note thank you for listening everybody thanks thank for listening chat and sophia thank you austin we will see you guys all later see ya